Well, good morning, and thank you for being here at 8 o'clock and uh, making room for, for the later times that we'll have this morning, and happy Easter. I, I have no day of the year that wrecks me like this day does. Anybody with me on that? I mean, I, um, I came to Christ 41 years ago uh, on Easter, and I came because my life was totally without meaning. It just, to me, life seemed like a joke, like it does most college students, you know. And uh, today, I can barely handle how meaningful life is, uh, how rich it is. And we hope that today, if you don't know the hope of Jesus Christ, that you leave here today knowing that hope. Because it changes everything. Our church, uh, because of its scope, we experience death on a weekly basis, either in, within our body or someone within our body. And this week, um, yesterday in Reverie, we celebrated the life of someone very special. Uh, Karina Mosier was someone that if you've been around Southbrook, you've seen, you've seen Karina. You need people who worked in the atrium at the information desk. Karina was your person. You need people in the choir. Karina and John Mosher were your people. Uh, you've seen Karina's son, Drew, and her daughter-in-law, Cammie, leading us in worship. And uh, after a long battle with cancer this week, she went home. And I think it's amazing that her celebration of life this vibrant soul who had embodied the beauty of a real faith, her life was celebrated yesterday. And it, to me, makes this day so full of meaning that John and her sons and daughters, they were not saying goodbye. They were saying, see you later. See you later. We'll see you again. We were out of town this week on spring break, and we had family that went ahead of us on Friday and got on the plane. And we got on the plane yesterday. And Friday, it was, see you later. We'll see you in a couple days. And this is the hope of resurrection. It's not goodbye. It's not a period. It's a comma. I'll see you later. We'll be home soon. And I really believe that. I really believe that that there is reason to believe that those loved ones who have, that you've sent off at the terminal, that there's reason to believe it's not goodbye, it's see you later. We'll see you soon. And uh, today we celebrate that. I know we're beginning a little bit more low-key than maybe the resurrection warrants, but we're building to a victory here, friends, this morning before we go. This week, I was uh, one of my favorite speakers is Dr. Frank Turek. He is a, an apologist for the faith. He's actually written a book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's a wonderful book about faith. And this week, he showed this picture. Look at this picture right here. He showed this picture. And these were the six in Nashville two weeks ago. And I looked at that picture, and Dr. Turek said, Brothers and sisters, we will see you soon. 
that your lives are not without meaning and eternal purpose. Those three children and those three people who are personnel with the covenant school, that it is not goodbye, it is see you later. And this is the hope of resurrection. And if you don't have this hope, it affects your life now. And I think it's why America is plagued with diseases of despair. We're dying from diseases of despair. That's what we're dying of. Because we, we lack this transcendent hope that says, I know we're at the terminal, but this is not goodbye. This will, this will see you soon. Job asked the question, Job 14, 14, if a man dies, will he live again? That is the ultimate question. Because if there is no life after life, then this life has no meaning because there's no accountability. Hitler wins. Hitler wins. There's no accountability for what he did to the world. Hitler wins. And every other Hitler that's followed, there's no meaning. There's no accountability. But if there is life after life, that changes everything. And that's why today is pregnant with meaning. Because asking if a person dies, will they live again, is like asking, will a man ever make it to the moon? It's already happened. It's already happened. And Hebrews 2.15 says that this Jesus that we celebrate today came to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. You see a world around you that is shackled by the uncertainty of despair that comes from the impending end. And yet, something happened. Something happened that changed hope. And today we're beginning a month-long series into the reason for hope, the reason, the undergirding, the basis to believe that when John and his kids said yesterday a celebration of Karina's life, that it was not goodbye, John, it was not goodbye. It was, we'll see you later, honey. We'll see you soon. And we're gonna take a month to look at what exactly is a Karina Mosier experiencing right now? What is she experiencing right now in glory? And what is the basis for that? As Paul the Apostle elucidates that in 1 Corinthians 15. So let me run through the opening verses of that for a few moments. And then we're going to celebrate the victory that it espouses. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 says, first, if you want to believe in this, look at the events of the resurrection. To a group of people who were doubting whether there was resurrection, after all, the Jewish people, the Israelites, they had no belief in afterlife. Their, their best guess was Sheol, the place of nothingness. And Jesus comes along and he introduces resurrection. And he says in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15, take a strong look at the event of the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news, the declaration I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. 
Look at this. Look at that word. It's the aorist tense, which means a one-time action that has a continuing result. You are being saved. Your life is becoming made of eternal stuff more every day, every day. It's not just a one-time thing that happens to you. I said the prayer, I'm saved. It's a, a continuing action. It's a continuing effect. It's a continuing result. You are being made into something that is eternally lasting. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died, not a martyr's death, but an atoning death for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried. He didn't swoon. He didn't resuscitate in the cool grave. He was dead and that he was raised on the third day, According to the scriptures, Paul begins by saying, remember, the facts about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus are a matter of historical record. He lived at a definitive place, Palestine, at a definitive point in history. And he rose from the dead, and we are here to testify to that truth. The interesting thing about the resurrection is there are things that happen that only the resurrection can explain. John Singleton Copley was three times the high chancellor of England, a, uh, probably one of the greatest legal minds of all time. He said, I know pretty well what evidence is, and I tell you that such evidence as that for the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth has never broken down yet. One of the greatest legal minds of all time. A number of years ago, there was an interesting meeting that took place at Harvard University. A professor at the faculty, the dean of the faculty of the School of Law in London, um, addressed the students, John M.D. Anderson. And he began to address the student body, surveying the evidence of Jesus' resurrection from the viewpoint of a lawyer. And he began to smash the theories that tried to explain away the resurrection. And he closed his address by listing a number of historical facts that would have to be explained some other way if the resurrection didn't happen. He said, if there were no resurrection, how do you explain that the Christian church could be traced back to a particular day in the first century? This is unlike any other movement. Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, atheism, no other movement in history that changed the world can be traced back to one day it didn't exist. And then the next day it did. This church thing didn't exist, and then it did. He said, how do you explain that? When the New Testament says its founder, the basis for its existence, was raised from the dead. Is there any other theory that fits those facts? He said, how do you explain the success of the early church? How did the apostles make thousands of converts in Jerusalem by preaching about the resurrection when any one of those people could have taken a short walk back to the tomb to prove that it wasn't true? Paul says, this is why you have to look at the events. The basis for belief in resurrection is a rational belief based on a record. Then he says, look at the eyewitnesses to the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 4, he says, and then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Do you know why that's significant? It's because when you go down through that list, Peter, what changed him? A little servant girl intimidated him into saying, nope, I don't know him. I don't know him. Never been associated with him. 
And six weeks later, he's standing up in front of the, the, the authorities and saying, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. I have seen him with my own eyes. What changed Peter from a man who denied Jesus to a man who years later was hung upside down on a cross because he was unworthy to be crucified like his risen Lord? What changed him? What changed James as we've just spent almost three months studying the letter from Jesus' brother, from a man who denied his brother, who said, uh, can we take control of you because we think you're a little bit crazy, to a man who after the resurrection said, I have seen my brother alive. He is risen from the dead, and he became the leader of the church of the resurrection in Jerusalem. What changed them? What changed the apostles from people who cowered to people with unbelievable courage. You say, well, it was wish fulfillment. It was wish fulfillment. They wanted to see Jesus alive. Really? How many people do you know who will suffer torture for what they know to be a lie? Now, you say people die for a lie all the time. They do. What they think is true. How many people will suffer for what they know is a hoax? And yet, they all went to their graves saying, we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. As a matter of fact, those of us who, who say the Bible is our source of faith, you know the Bible is not our source of faith. The Bible was written after the resurrection. The reason the New Testament exists is because of the resurrection. No resurrection, no New Testament. The, the resurrection didn't happen after the Bible fact. Why? It's because they could not help but speak about what they had seen and heard. And Paul says, look at the eyewitnesses. Look at the eyewitnesses who went to their graves saying, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is alive and we have seen him with our own eyes. And then Paul says this. He says, look at the effects of the resurrection. And this is more subjective. But to me, this statement right here is the number one reason I believe that there is life after life that the basis of that life is the resurrected Christ. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 8. He says, look at the effects of the resurrection. In verse 8, he says, and last of all, he appeared to me also. And then this phrase gets me every time. Look, look closely at this, friends. As to one abnormally born, the word there in the Greek language is ektroma. It meant an aborted fetus. That's what the word was used for. In Rome, abortion and, and tossing babies out was normal. It was normal. Um, it happened, especially with young females, because if they were deemed of no value or they were, or they were deformed in some way. And Paul takes that phrase and he says, he says, I'm an ektroma. So I, I was one, and many scholars think that Paul was very small in stature, not impressive physically. And he says, to me, to me, he said, I was chosen like you. Maybe you feel like an ectroma. And he says, for I'm the least of the apostles. This is the most influential, impactful follower of Christ in history. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He was a terrorist. That's what we call, we, he was what we call a terrorist today. He went around killing Christians. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. And whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what we believed. To me, this is the most compelling argument for the resurrection of Christ. What changed Saul, the persecutor, Saul, his Jewish name, into Polos, his Roman name? the preacher of the gospel. What changed him? You know what he said it was? The risen Christ appeared to me also. I saw him with my own eyes. And much of the New Testament was the result of this experience that had a profound effect upon this driven, angry, religious man named Saul. And of all the things today, the reasons that I stand before you getting to preach the gospel of Christ is I believe in the events that are unexplainable apart from resurrection. And the, uh, the effect of the eyewitnesses is astounding. If we literally were to stand here and list all the people who saw him post-resurrection, we would be here from right now till Friday evening. How many people saw him alive? But to me, I always come back to this ectroma named Saul who grew up angry and bitter and out to prove to the world that God was real, using religious anger as his motivation, who sits down one day and says, but it was grace that saved me. It was grace that changed me. How do you explain the millions of lives. I'm not talking about religious idiots who have used the name of Christianity to do terrible things. I'm talking about people whose lives embody this grace. Uh, when, when Karina passed this week and I was away and I saw the email that she had passed and I told Cami, I said that Karina embodied the, the beauty of a vibrant faith. And when you see lives that are changed, some of you, my friends, are here today that you, you are the effect of the resurrection. You are different. How do you explain that? You see, one of the acid tests of faith, friends, is does it work in real life? Kelsey Grammer recently, the actor, gave a testimony. He played Chuck Smith in the movie Jesus Revolution. And he said, of all the reasons I believe in Jesus as Messiah, well, the biggest reason is it works. His way is the way. It's the way this world needs right now. And it is true. How do you explain the gospel and its effects upon people? There's an old story about a tourist who was in Chicago and he got into a cab and the cab driver drove right through a red light. He said, what are you doing? You drove right through that red light. And the cab driver said, don't worry about it. My brother does it all the time. And they came to another red light and the cab driver whoom, blew right on through the red light and, and the, whoa, you're going to get us killed. And the cab driver said, don't worry about it. My brother does it all the time. They came to a green light. Cab driver stopped. The tourist said, well, that light's green. He goes, I know, but you never know when my brother might be coming through, he said. <laughs> the test of any faith is, does it work? Does it work in real life? Does our world need more religion that's angry and says, we're going to convert you, and if you're not one of us, we're going to beat you down? Does the world need more of that? 
Does the world need more of clubs that you got to be a certain way into a certain place of peace before you can get in our club? You got to earn your way. It's the, every club religiously in the world is spelled D-O. You better do what we say. Or does the world need a place that it's D-O-N-E? It's already been done. It's already been done. Surrender. And the power of the resurrected Christ will change your life. I recently read a book that I just, I'm going through some rereading of my favorite books. And one of my favorite books of all time is this book right here, Unbroken by Laura Helen Brand. And it's a story of a little frail ectroma named Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini grew up in Torrance, California, kind of the, the runt of the litter. He became a world-class runner. He was qualifying for the Olympics. He was that good. And then a little distraction named World War II happened. And his plane was shot down over the Pacific Ocean on May 27, 1943. He and his Fellow soldiers were adrift in the Pacific for 47 days, the longest anyone who is known to have survived being adrift in the, in the ocean. And then, unfortunately, they were rescued by a Japanese plane. He spent the remainder of the war in a brutal camp in Japan under treatment that you cannot fathom, especially treatment that was rendered specifically to him by a prison commander, Watanabe was his name, but they called him the bird, who had a special affinity for making Louis Zamperini, the famous American athlete, suffer. He survived. And when he came out, he began to have Nights of nightmares. He's, he's settled into anger, fantasies of literally going to Japan, capturing the bird, torturing him, and then sending him to his own death. He drifted into alcoholism that gripped his life. But on one night in 1948, someone invited him to hear a young preacher who was giving his first national crusade. That young preacher's name was Billy Graham who was launching the Los Angeles crusade that would change his life and the lives of millions. And Louis Zamperini went to that first night and he left in anger, vowing never to come back. But, 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 but he came back the next night. And on that night, this young preacher described a person that made Louis Zamperini feel as if Billy Graham knew he was there because he was talking to him. And that night he went forward and he gave his life to this Jesus. He gave up alcohol. He said, but that wasn't the most important thing I gave up. When I surrendered my life to Christ, he said, I quit on anger. I quit on bitterness. To make a long story short, his life became one of serving youth with camps and ministering to them and giving them hope and the power of the resurrection in their own lives. And in 1998, at age 81, he took the Olympic torch on behalf of America 
And he ran by the very place in Japan at the Winter Olympics in 1998 in Nagano, Japan. He ran by the very place where he had been a concentration camp survivor. And in 2014, at age 97, Louis Zamperini died peacefully, free from anger and bitterness, having lived a full life. And I read that again this week, uh, the last week, and I thought, oh, the power of the resurrected Christ in a person's life. Friends, today, this is, this is the reality of Easter. It balances this sobering reality of we're saying goodbye right now called death with this amazing victory that when you hear that I've died, don't you believe it because I will never be more alive in that moment than I am right then called resurrection. Listen as we now sing about this great Victory that is in Jesus Christ. We really believe that and that there is historical basis for taking the next step of faith. That's what faith is. Faith is coming to the end of all the evidence you have and taking one more step. That's what it is. It's like the headlights on your car. They illuminate the road only so far you move forward. And today if, is Easter 2023, the day where you say, this is my hope. I'm putting my hope in the claims of Jesus Christ. Then we want to help you with that. And we'll be here every step of the way as you surrender your life to that hope. We're so glad that you got to be with us. If you want to take that step, a number of us will be up here. We have the communion table set where you can, you can take, you know, you can take of, of the body and blood of Christ that didn't stay dead. You know, Jesus looked at his followers on the night he was betrayed and he said, the next time, the next time I have a meal with you, it'll be when kingdom has come. It'll, it'll be in another reality. And, I, you know, I think about John Karina. Three weeks ago, she was a part of the team serving breakfast to our, our group. And today she's having a different meal. And that's hope, friends. That's not hoping for something. That's hoping in someone. And we hope that today is your day where you said, that was the day I put my stake in the ground and said, this will be my hope in someone. I'm going to give a special thanks as before we pray to this team. We, we have lost, like a lot of churches, we've lost three staff members in our worship arts area in the last year. And so what you see behind me right now embodies uh, an amazing amount of work by all volunteers. The only staff person is Todd Moss on the drums, and he works in a totally different department on our staff. Uh, and, uh, and I don't know about you, but I was so moved watching Harrison worship while he painted. And would you thank the team today, our volunteers and the whole team for, for me, putting together a special, special way to worship the one who reigns above it all. Amen? Who reigns above it all. And uh, I'm just so thankful for them. Because uh, 
Folks like Karina are smiling. Smiling that the message is going on, right? Right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this transcendent hope that changed the world. It split the calendar in two. It changed the course of human history because grace and resurrection were introduced to the world on a scale no one ever had thought about. And lives like Louis Zamperini and Saul of Tarsus and Sally of Centerville have been changed forever because you reign above it all. You trample death. And now stand firm, brothers and sisters, and give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And in Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Happy Easter, everybody. We'll see you next week, hopefully. Thank you.